That's a lovely prayer at the end of the hymn. All that we, discerning its most holy learning, Lord, may love and fear Thee evermore be near Thee. Uh, that's our objective, to be, to be near Him. And we approach Him through the Word, by the Spirit, in the merits of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. What has He got to teach us together here uh, this evening? Well, we're in Malachi. We've reached chapter 2. We're looking at this uh, quite pastoral section, verses 10 through to 16. But something of the story so far... Uh, this last book of the Old Testament finds the people of God have drifted from reality uh, into a cold, religious veneer. And because of that, there's real decay uh, in the hearts of the people. Fundamentally, there's a real problem with them. They are doubting something very, very wonderful. May we be kept from this. They actually doubt that God loves them. Is that possible, Christian, tonight? They clearly do. God makes this wonderful declaration. Chapter 1 and verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet, you say, <laughs> in what way have you loved us? And God opens up his, uh, his ways of his sovereign choice in the election. Uh, Jacob I have loved, but Esau... I have hated. And the default position because of our sin is that we all should be under His wrath. But by a sovereign choice uh, formed in the depth of eternity past, He set His love on Jacob. Uh, why? Well, not because of anything in Jacob. Actually, of the two, if you look at their characters, we would go for Esau rather than Jacob. But it's not of works that no one may boast. It's due to his purposes, his sovereign choice. And left to ourselves, we'd all be hell-bound. Nobody chooses hell. We're on that road anyway. It's only a divine intervention that takes us off that road and puts us on the road to glory. But here's the people who have been wonderfully dealt with, uh, brought out of Egypt and uh, taken to the promised land. They're on the way, they're given the law, and they have the prophets, they have the priesthood, they have the signs, the pictures, the types, the shadows of the gospel that was to come. And uh, God has taken them into exile, of course, for a time. They've learned their lesson. Idolatry is washed out, washed out of them, and they're brought back into the land. And here they are, a hundred years down the road after the restoration. The temple has been built, and they doubt that God loves them. I have loved you, says the Lord. Oh, in what way? You, you tell us how. Well, what excuse have you and I got tonight? Because we haven't got the gospel in shadows and types and figures and pictures and prophecy. We have an inglorious technicolor. <laughs> Are we not gripped by the gospel? Do we doubt that God loves you and me? If you're a Christian tonight, what a glorious display of the love of God. God has demonstrated His own love to us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ, the darling of heaven, died for our sins. Christ died once for sin. 
the just on behalf of the unjust. Why? To bring us to God. Isn't it glorious? Isn't it wonderful? Aren't we wanting to get up and leap around? And Can we stay on our seats? I have loved you, says the Lord. Oh, these people are full of doubts about that. Oh, we have the gospel in glorious technicolor. That's our focus. Every service here, Sunday by Sunday, at midweeks, and uh, in your quiet times, day by day, look to find Jesus. Look to find him, because he's there on every page. Can we sing that, that hymn and really mean it? Oh, that thrills my soul is, what, Burkhoff? Thomas Watson? Oh, good, good. Calvin. All oh, that thrills my soul is Calvin. John Owen. I've really got into John Owen. I used to think he couldn't write, but it's me who couldn't read, actually. It took me some time. But my delight's not there. I mean, Calvin, John Owen, Thomas, lead me to him. Lead me to him. It's Jesus. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life. Now, my life before was uh, Burnley Football Club, Lancashire County Cricket Club. And I've got my wife and my children. My, is that? No, Jesus is more than life to me and the fairest of 10,000 in my precious Lord I see. I have loved you, says the Lord. I hope we're not saying in our hearts, <laughs> fine thing, how, how would I know that? If we lose this great truth that uh, we're loved, sovereign grace has conquered our hearts because of this divine love. Remember, love is that uh, dynamic attribute of God. Other attributes we could say are static. God just is, but because he is love, this is a dynamic attribute that's moved him into action. God's soul of the world, he, he gave. This is dynamic. Oh, I have no doubts about that. But if we lose a sight of that, the reality that should be ours becomes a mere formal religion. That's what's happened here in Malachi's time. And because they've been stripped down to mere religion, worship is slipshod. Anything will do. It's half-hearted. It's, it's mundane. I mean, the things they're offering to God here in chapter 1 and verse uh, 7, you offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? Well, by saying that table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? And also their worship has become a drudge and it's tiresome. Verse 13 of chapter 1. You also say, oh, what uh, a weariness. So I've got to ask myself the question tonight, and again, challenge me and challenge you, with what attitude have I come to preach, and with what attitude are we all here uh, to listen? Never forget this, maybe you've never preached in a, in a pulpit, but uh, Wynne would say the same, as I'm preaching here, by the grace of God, I'm listening here too. Now I have some notes, they are here, but I don't know what's going to come, and what direction we're going to be heading in. So I, I'm listening along with you. What has God got to say to me and to you individually and us collectively? With what attitude have I come? 
Is it out of religious routine, I'm here again? Or is it because he's the delight of my heart and I wouldn't be anywhere else? Why, oh why, would I want to be anywhere else? He promises to meet with us here. He has loved me. He has demonstrated that love beyond my power to really comprehend or take in. But this decay in Malachi's, Malachi's time, it seems, began at the top uh, with uh, the priesthood. They set bad examples and the people followed those bad examples. And what about me and you here tonight? What sort of example am I? And what sort of an example are you when it comes to the gospel? If you were the only opportunity the world had to know what a Christian really was and what Christianity was all about, maybe you were the only one left. And probably you are in your families and your workplace and the school that you go to. What hope have they got? What sort of an example am I as I walk my dog around the Hendra Lake and encounter people? What sort of an example am I in the Tesco checkout queue and uh, other good supermarkets are available, by the way, and don't forget the good old corner shop. What sort of an example am I? You know, we can think about society and we can be mourn, maybe. We ought to be praying for our government. Uh, but why is society like it is? If the world is dark, where's, where's the answer? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he turns to his disciples. He says to you and me again this evening, you are the light of the world. So if it's dark out there, what's the problem? Well, it's with the light. Surely it's with the light. How are we shining? Jesus bids us shine with a pure, pure, clear light. Like a little candle, I won't sing it, burning in the night. In this world is darkness, so we must shine. You in your small corner and I in mine. But when it comes to the church, you know, Jesus Christ loves the church. I, I, I wouldn't dare to criticise a gospel church. I, I really will not. I've come across the spectrum. I was converted in a charismatic setting. I'll mention the name. In Brisbane, Australia. I came back to do my degree here in Cardiff and joined the Pentecostal, healing Pentecostal church. And at the time, some cracking gospel preachers there. And, uh, and then I, I, I was invited here. Never heard of Heath Evangelical, but, but I came and I, I joined uh, here, a former Presbyterian uh, denominational church that had seceded in the 1970s and then leaving Cardiff joined a little free evangelical church with 30 members in the east end of London then uh, came back to Cardiff and back to the Heath and off to St. Melon's Baptist Church listen now what matters to me is is the gospel being preached and is Jesus Christ being upheld and we'll all make mistakes and there's no perfect church anywhere uh, Jesus loves his church, but when there are problems in the church, whose fault is it? Well, if I am and you are the light of the world, we're also lights within the church, all right? Now, it's easy to, to point, and leaders do have an extra responsibility, that's for sure. But each and every one of us is responsible for the glory of the gospel 
here in this place because we are all priests before our wonderful God, Jesus Christ, the high priest, and we are all a priesthood together. And we ought to represent him well. So in society, in the local church, how are you doing? And how am I doing? But this decay that, that set in, it's manifested in particular in family life. And that's the section that we started to work through. Chapter 2 and verse 10 uh, onwards, there is, um, there's a problem. And um, here it is. Judah, verse 11, has dealt treacherously. An abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem, for Judah has, has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, he doesn't walk into this uh, as if he's sleepwalking. He understands what he's doing, but he does this. Uh, and yet, he brings an offering to the Lord of hosts, thinking he'll still be accepted. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Marriages are going uh, wrong. Yet she, the wife of your youth, is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did not God make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? What's God's plan in a godly family? Well, he seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. So here's the situation in Malachi's time. They're falling away from God. They're doubting his love. Their worship is half-hearted. And then it really hits home in family life. Family life. God's plan. One man. One woman. In a lifelong commitment together. No longer two, but remarkably becoming one in body, mind, Spirits, one flesh. It's quite remarkable. I mean, 40, 42 years of marriage coming up. And uh, we're at the stage now where we can finish each other's sentences. I know what she's thinking. She knows what I'm thinking. It's, it's, it develops. It's very wonderful. Uh, God forging this by his spirit, leading us together. Uh, in a covenant which he has established. You know, the greatest relationship here on planet Earth, outside of that unique, glorious pinnacle of with Jesus Christ who takes me to the Father, it is a union between a man and a woman. It mustn't be entered into lightly. And what's happening here in Malachi's time, uh, 
sadly is being reflected in our day and generation too, even within the evangelical church, that that union is being broken. The only way we can remain to becoming one is by that divine power. But in Malachi's day, it has gone. So there were bad marriages and there were wrong marriages. Let me just uh, again sketch out the situation for you in Malachi's time. Foreigners were coming into Judah and into Jerusalem. And men, Jewish men, were divorcing their Jewish wives and marrying younger foreign wives. This led to a disillusionment amongst children, the whole area of marriage, divorce, and remarriage was very real in Malachi's time. So that's what we're looking to address here uh, this evening. I began it last time I spoke on uh, Malachi on a, a Sunday evening, and I want to take it a little further. Last time, we looked at this great principle that if you are to marry, you must marry in the Lord. A Christian marries a Christian. A believer marries a believer. And we emphasized that point last time because it is thoroughly biblical, Old Testament and New Testament. We established that last time. I think I left you by saying that we'd look at this time this question. Okay, how do I find, if I am to marry, the right marriage partner? Last time, simply said this. Great principle. Must be a fellow believer. But how would I know the right one? So here I am, I, I'm a man. And uh, going back to my younger, I think I was 20 when we first met. How, how, how do we meet the right person? Um, so if there are 7.6 billion people in the world, how do I make the right choice? Because I've got uh, 3.8 billion to choose from on a human perspective. Oh, we can whittle that down. We, we would certainly say it's going to be somebody in my rough uh, age bracket. And we also we could say, well, it's going to be somebody who I do interact with uh, in some fashion and some manner. I know now there is the, the internet. I'm not, I don't want to go into that. And I don't quite know, settling in my own mind, what to, to think in that area. But uh, there's the technology. It does exist. But the people who I might well meet... Uh, we could draw that down from the, then the billions to maybe a few hundreds, but still that's quite a large number. How would I know the right person to marry? Just wondering what to do here at this point. I think I'll treat this as a separate subject because there is the whole area of singleness that really needs to be dealt with. It is a gift from God, as much as marriage, I believe, is a gift from God, singleness is a gift from God. And not that this gift gives you some supernatural power to overcome uh, desires of passion. It does not necessarily do that at all, any more than the gift of marriage, if you have the gift of being married, makes a marriage easy. I mean, have the last 42 years been easy? Don't laugh. You know, we have our ups and downs and we need divine grace and power in the work of the Spirit. 
Within a marriage, of course we do. I remember going to the home of uh, somebody many, many years ago. We'd been newly married, and uh, I think it was an after meeting, and the, uh, the, the, somebody there said, and we, uh, we thought, well, that's interesting, that uh, all you need is love uh, in, in a marriage. As if this is something that... You know, everything was easy if you loved each other. No, it's not. No, it's not. We have to work, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so with singleness, this is not some... A divine power that God gives with this gift that you really have no desire to be married at all. Of course, it's not that. The gift of singleness means you're single. Are you single tonight? Let me tell you, you've got a gift. It's called singleness. Are you married tonight? Let me tell you, you have a gift. It's called marriage. And both need divine power. If we look anywhere else than to Jesus Christ, we're going to be in trouble in either state that we are in. But I, I want to open that up separately because time is pressing on. What I want to look at tonight is to answer this question, how do I find the right marriage partner that my marriage wouldn't end in disaster? The statistics are not good in Britain and throughout the Western world. How do I find the right marriage partner, things were difficult in Malachi's time too. The reason they'd taken their eye off the living God, they lost touch with him. How do I find the right marriage partner? How? What do I do? Well, number one is this. Here's number one. To find the right person, first of all, it's not what I do, but I need to be the right person. Right? There's, there's the, the overarching principle. It's not doing. I mean, I, I'm, I know that the pastor, Wynne, and I agree with him, is a little bit on edge when you uh, go to how-to preaching how to be a perfect husband, how to be a wonderful wife, how to be a good church member, how to, how to, how to, do, 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 do. No, that's, that's religion. Do in order to be. But true Christianity is be, first of all. And flowing from being, we come to doing. And to help me in my thinking, I remember uh, Frank Sinatra, he, he would sing... Do, be, do, be, do. Do, be, do, be, do. Do, be, do, be, do. That's not Christianity, right? That's religion. Do, be, do, be, do. Religion. Christianity is be, do, be, do, be. Be the right person. If you want to find the right person, number one, a Christian, then how do I find within all those hundreds I might encounter, number one, be the right person. Our how-to becomes then fundamentally a matter of, of being. It's a matter of God. God needs to be in it. God is the one who leads and guides. Now, being the right person. Let's think of men and women from this particular point of view. You know, the Bible's got a lot to say about a godly wife and what she might be, be like and uh, what a, a man might be looking for, how to be the right person. Uh, if you are a female here 
tonight. Here's a question put in the book of Proverbs in chapter 31, this famous uh, ending to the book of Proverbs. He pauses a question. Who can find a virtuous wife? Here's the question. And then the writer says this, for her worth is far above rubies. That's true. To find the right life partner, the heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of grain. Now, she's a quite remarkable woman here in Proverbs, as you know. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. And from her profit, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the dye staff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. That's interesting, all that this, this wonderful woman is doing. And then the husband gets a mention. Do you know what he's doing? Here it is. Her husband is known at the gates where he sits among the elders of the land. That's all that's said about the husband. He sat by the city gates having a chat with the uh, other elders uh, in the city. Then back to this wonderful woman. She makes them in garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in times to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Oh, a virtuous wife. Who, who can find her? She's worth far more than rubies. Listen to this conclusion now. And here it gets to the point. Now, all the things that she's doing, uh, there by the by, uh, she, she's sort of like a composite of many, many gifts that this woman uh, has. But what are we looking for uh, in uh, a wife? Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Women, ladies, what is a, a man looking for? What do you need to, to, to be? Well, here it is. There's a lot of coming and going and doing, but a virtuous woman and a woman essentially, substantially, here it is, who fears the Lord. And that becomes obvious. She's a woman of prayer. She's a woman of the word. She's a woman about her father's business. Or oh, that is how 
to be. And in the New Testament, we have again um, the excellent wife. Here it is. You'll know the passage. If I can find it, who's moved? 1 Peter. There it is, just before 2 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Something about the conduct here of the wife. Here's a gospel woman. When they observe your chaste conduct, accompanied by fear, this fear of the Lord, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Nothing wrong with adornment. Ladies, what the Scripture is saying here is don't rely on that primarily. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God, also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. This wonderful conduct, the holy women who trusted in God. Well, be the right person. Be the right person. What about men? Well, there's not a lot said to counterbalance that. The virtuous Husband who can find and a long list of what he uh, might be like. But I tell you this, the, the dominant grace commended on husbands down through the rolling centuries, through the Word of God, is simply this. Husbands, love your wives. And this is that agape love that's mentioned here. You understand Greek is a very rich language. There are... Three major words for, for love. There is uh, phileo, which is a, a camaraderie and a, a, a friendship love. Now that needs to be there in a marriage. Of course it needs to be there. But, uh, it's lovely talking with some of the young men at St. Melons. I'm getting to know uh, folks here as well. And uh, oh, my best friend is my wife. Isn't that wonderful that they can say that? There's a friendship there. Uh, they, they go home and they are content to be there with their wives. No, that phileo needs to be uh, there. There's also eros, which is that sexual uh, attraction. Of course, that needs to be there in a marriage. You must be attracted to the person. Clearly, you, you would need to be. But overarching all this, men, you need to love with this agape love, this love that is self-giving and sacrificial and putting the wife first, such as if the ship is going down and there's only one space left on the life raft, you put your wife on the life raft. And what woman wouldn't be attracted by such self-sacrificing love? Oh, the husband ought to be a man of love, a godly man, again, a man of prayer and a man of the Bible a man who is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. So before we come on to lists of what we need to do, it's a matter of being. Both a man and a woman are godly men and women. Be the right person. But moving on from there, just being practical, do you desire to be married? Then I'd suggest that you pray. 
God is the one who oversees all these things. Lord, lead me to the right person at the right time. The right person at the right time. I remember uh, reading about uh, James Fraser, who was a, a missionary to the Lisu people, and uh, went out there and spent maybe 20 years on the mission field as a single man and going around and around the villages, taking the gospel. Uh, he came home from the mission field when he was in his early 50s. And at that point, he fell in love and he married. Now, he had the gift of singleness up to the age of 52. I don't know what age you are now. Do you assume you're going to be single the rest of your life if you're single now? Who knows? Who knows? For now, you have the gift of singleness. But who knows? Maybe that gift of marriage will come your way. Pray, ask, seek, knock. Then I'd say this as well as praying. Put this sent, put yourself out there. Mix. Mix. And there are men and there are ladies here tonight. Now, I know it's not a dating club here. I want to be sensitive about these things. But to, to be in the company of each other, to go to youth uh, meetings, to go into the, the after, just to mix with no agenda, uh, going on camps, uh, helping out in evangelistic activities, uh, going to the Royal Welsh Shore, being amongst people, encountering different people, mixing and praying and looking and trusting the living God. Now, I might have told you this before, uh, already, I don't, if, if I have, then please do forgive me. I, I'm getting old. I forget which stories I, I might, might not have told. But mixing. Uh, how did I meet Jill? Well, not sitting at home. It happened in this way. She happened to be a friend of my sister's. And she'd gone at Jill with my sister to a fancy dress party. And my sister wanted a lift home. So I was dispatched. I passed my test to go and pick up my sister from this fancy dress party in the Earby Conservative Club that particular night. So I pulled him outside and I went in through the door and I looked for my sister who was wonderfully dressed in a very beautiful uh, outfit. She was there as a doll. I think she was there as a, as a doll. Something like Lou Bilou or something. And next to her was this strange looking person. And it was Jill. Dressed as a garden gnome. And uh, funny hat, big red nose, hobnail boots. And, uh, and my first words to her were, what on earth are you? And she spoke and uh, something happened. Something happened. And slowly we got to know each other. She came to our house, uh, asked by my sister for tea. And Jill had a little badge on saying, Jesus saves. And I'd recently been converted. I thought, that's interesting. And then Jill, I found she played the guitar. And I played the guitar, and things began to slowly move. I wasn't particularly looking, but I was praying, and the Lord led. Pray. Well, be, pray, mix. Look for that spark, that mutual attraction. There will be a compatibility. Now, the Lord has a helper who's suitable, the counterpart to you. Now, coming to a conclusion, I would say, nothing wrong with trying. Men, I think we need to lead men and take some initiative. There are some men who need a bomb up them. Maybe they're a little bit uh, slow. But I think the biblical principle is men taking a lead. Ask her out. Let's go to KFC for an evening. 
That'll sweep her off her feet, won't it? Maybe, my, oh, well, there's one nodding down here. I think Ben would be very happy with a KFC. And me, me too. You know, the simple things in life. Maybe it's going to be a, a McDonald's. Uh, whatever it's going, maybe you're going to really push the boat out and go to a pizza hut. I, I, I don't know. But uh, men, take the initiative there. If she says no, then withdraw. Withdraw. Don't be too pushy. There are many worldly uh, lines, uh, faint heart, never won fair lady. Don't be too pushy in this area. Trusting the Lord uh, in this area. He's the one who is in control. Maybe later on she'll come to her senses and accept the invitation from McDonald's or a KFC. And don't forget, once you start going out, the aim is marriage. It's not just to play around. The aim is marriage. That's the end that's in view. And as soon as you're aware that this is not the person for you, then it's time to go your separate ways and seek the Lord for that life partner, if it's to be that for you. Well, look, time has gone on very, very rapidly. Perhaps I should leave things there for this evening. I hope that's helpful. I think within marriage, what we need to deal with next time is marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Those are dominant areas here. And I've got a glorious picture here of uh, what a marriage ought to be. But uh, God willing, we'll look at that uh, next time, which will be a week tonight. So uh, let's leave it there for now. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this brief time in your word. Thank you for that great crescendo at the beginning. I have loved you, says the Lord, and that love demonstrated through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, the darling of heaven, who left the glory of heaven. He's the great bridegroom who's come seeking a bride. He has said on Calvary, he will take us. Oh Lord, are there any here tonight who are slow in responding to his offer of marriage? May they be warned by the Spirit of the living God. And may they also say to him, I will. Will you go with this man? Father, we commend each other to your care. In these pastoral issues of life, we pray you lead us and guide us. Give us that supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to honour you in whatever state of life we are in, single or married, whatever our desires may be to submit to your sovereign will for us and to glorify your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, our final hymn is Great High Priest, we see thee stooping. Um, yeah, I was going to end with a, a great illustration of the bridegroom. I think that comes into this particular hymn here, which is why I chose it. But it's a lovely, lovely hymn of Joseph Hart's that stand and sing together.
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.